Paul, uh, World Cup is on, and I just wanted to know, are you following the World Cup right now? England would be your team, sort I guess. Of. Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, I have watched a little bit of the games. Well, obviously, the, the Team Canada. Uh, I know it's kind of a big deal, the fact that this is the first time that Canada has been in the World Cup since 1986. Yes. And I didn't I didn't know that 1986 was the only only World Cup appearance uh, prior to, to this year. But yeah, that was the only World Cup appearance for, for Canada. So yeah, it's, it's cool to see Canada in the World Cup. Um, typically, you know, my team is, is England. Um, so I'll try to watch some of the England games, which unfortunately I haven't really had a chance to watch that many, just a, a few, few minutes here and there. Um, but yeah, Canada being in the World Cup. Um, but, Obviously, watching the entire duration of the game is is kind of tough, especially because it's during the day as well. Like you got to work, and it's different on a, on a weekend. But you do, um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. You could work and have the game on uh, at the same time. Yeah, it, well, depends on what it is I'm doing. If I'm out like client meetings and it's oh, that's true. Yeah, if you're working from um, home, maybe, but but, not. but even then, if you need to get stuff done, it, it I find it's it's tough to have the TV on in the background. Some people can do it really well, but I've never really been able to truly multitask. If I've if I have a deadline, there's no such thing as multitasking, by the way. Yeah, I've I've heard that. Yeah, but yeah, if 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 I need to concentrate on something, it's kind of hard to have a World Cup game going on in the background. But even if it's teams that aren't that consequential, yeah, yeah, it's still that distraction. Yeah, but uh, and I don't like yeah. to have it on mute because then I I don't know. It's it's I agree. I have that issue with that cognitive shifting of yeah. something going on in the background and. I like to be on one thing or the other. Now, baseball games, not to take it too far off topic, but radio baseball games are one thing I can kind of do when something else is going on. Yeah, radio is a bit different because it's just sort of like a, a background noise where you can sort of mentally tune in and out. But I don't know, when you have the TV there, it's now a visual distraction. And right. one more thing that kind of takes your concentration away, especially if it's something that you got to really focus in on. But so hey, we're, we're getting off topic here. World Cup. England. Um, Are you following England? I take it or they're playing today yeah, yeah. too. This is the we're yeah, recording today on December the 4th. So yeah. 2 PM. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm they're playing who? Morocco. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Morocco. I can double check that. Um, yeah. So I would like to try to tune in at Senegal. least watch some Senegal. of the game. Yeah. Oh, Senegal. Okay. There we go. Yeah. I like to watch some of the game if I can. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, World Cup soccer's can, not really your sport though. As no, well, right? I'm not, That's I'm part not of a, the issue. A, yeah. I'm not a, a huge soccer fan. I'm more like baseball and hockey, but I don't, do you think there's, there's still enthusiasm? Well, obviously there's enthusiasm, but is the fact that it, it's in Qatar and it's in November, December, Usually it's it's a summer thing. Like it, right. it's watching the World Cup in the summertime, which typically held June or July. You're on a patio or whatever. I don't know. It just seems there hasn't been as much excitement or as much um, fanfare about it. At least certainly, you know, in where in my surroundings and in, in my area of the city where I live. Um, yeah. Well, the Canada factor definitely increased. I think general interest from a Canadian's perspective. That, that the team was there and we had the, the qualifier games. Everybody was really hoping they would make it. But you're right. Because of the heat, they moved it to November. Um, it doesn't take advantage of the whole patio, drinking on the patio, and, and which Canadians or people in Canada love to do. Yeah. And the summer and, you know, even like the fact that it's Christmas kind of coming. and it. I, but I think to the diehards, the ones who are following, especially like the Brazilians, the Portuguese, the Argentinians, those guys, I don't think it matters. It's always going to be important. Yeah. Well, with any sport, you got to have, you're going to have your diehard fans that will watch it no matter what, no matter what time, no matter what time of year. But to, to the casual soccer fans, like the people that like me that just kind of tune into soccer just during the World Cup, you know, and have a, a passing interest in it. You know, I found that it's just been a little bit more, a little bit more low key this year. Um, you know, it is unfortunate that Canada got bumped pretty soon. Uh, I guess in some ways, maybe no real surprise there. 
No, um, they weren't going to advance. Yeah, yeah. That was known. But, I mean, when getting a win, that first game against Belgium, I think, was a winnable game. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of see the the real differences in changing the the season. Um, and and I think also the whole Qatar issue as well. There's, I know you you talked about it on a prior podcast about the the controversy. And I think that yeah episode. <laughs> And I, I think that that weighs in people's minds just the the lack of enthusiasm as to the the host country as well. So yeah, there's a lot of different factors that that go into the World Cup. But thank goodness that four years from now uh, it's going to be in North America, so the game times, well, well television watching times will will be better. And That's right. And we'll be able to For watch us. on a patio. For, For us, us, yeah. Asia well, always gets a bad rap because. Or bad, it seems to be the short end of the stick. Uh, talking to Salim and Justin about this in our last episode, the you know the game times for them are, are like crazy hours. For us, at least the earliest games, I think four a.m. and then they can go as late as two p.m., which yeah. is kind of okay if you really want to wake up early. You do, and uh, whereas over in Asia, there's no, um, it's all like eleven p.m. or um, one a.m. and stuff doesn't really work. So. Mm-hmm. I was sorry to see Canada knocked out, but at least they got, well, I think they got two goals in the tournament, didn't they? The first game, they yeah. scored one and the third, they scored the third one in the third game. But, uh, yeah, and a big, and some big upsets, obviously Germany out, um, mm-hmm. you know, the early, the early upsets that some of those teams actually did end up getting through, obviously like Argentina. And, um, yeah. No, you're right. There has been a lot of upsets, but I think next, well, four years from now, it'll be cool because obviously a lot of the games will be held on Canadian soil. Um, Team Canada will obviously be there because they get the automatic qualifier. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, four years, I'm sure it'll be a lot better, a lot better experience. So we're, we decided we would do, well, I decided we would do a little bit of an update on my real estate stuff. Uh, yes, you, you, so you're a dictator. You, you, uh, you bullied me into this. As founder, producer, editor, and grand master of We Talked About This, I, ultimately have the, the final say. Okay. But only because you're the grandmaster though. Okay. Um, real estate, just quick update on that. Uh, last time we spoke, I was talking about my Airbnb. It's up and running. And uh, yes, yeah, so far, so this is the low season for this area for Airbnb. We are getting about 50% occupancy. So there's two units. Um, one unit's been rented almost every single day. And the other unit has only been rented uh, once. And now someone's actually in it right now for seven, a seven day stay. And uh, so that's okay. It's, it's still new. So it takes a lot of people don't like to book Airbnbs if there aren't a lot of reviews, which can only come when people stay there. So I would say we're, we're okay with how things are performing. Nothing to, nothing to go, go crazy about in an exciting kind of way other than it's, it's kind of going how it was expected to go at this point. So from a financial standpoint, are you sort of breaking even at this point? Like the, the, the rental income that you're getting, is it meeting your costs or are you it's still not, sort of, okay, it's so not. you're still running a little bit out of, out of pocket then? Yeah, we are. And, uh, you know, this is the beauty about real estate though, is that we are, we are out of pocket for at, at this point. And there's a couple things to, to say about this. Um, so on the first point, the beauty of real estate is even if you're out of pocket, you're still getting the appreciation on the property. So mm-hmm. even if you're losing a bit of money on the operational side, you still are technically getting appreciation on the property. So if you were to own a restaurant, say, and it didn't do well uh, as a business, you don't own the property. So you're not getting any any value increases there. So yeah. Whereas in this case, we are. And that has to be factored in when you consider running, you know, an Airbnb business or a rental property. As you said, it's still very early going in the sense that is, I guess, the whole experience of operating this B&B, um, Airbnb, I should say, you're not, you're not serving breakfast. No. Um, the, the whole, the, the big picture aspect is that you have to give it a year. In the That's sense right. That as, as you commented that, uh, where the the house is situated, it's um, you know obviously from a, a weather standpoint and, and tourism that summer is going to be your your peak time. You'd expect you'd expect the property um, 
to be rented on a consistent basis during those periods. So yes, although the property isn't a summer property, so it does have the ability to be. And I always went, and we went into it knowing this that it's not a place by a lake that you go and and relax with your family on summer vacation. It's more of a a workspace, a a transit of some sort, temporary living quarters. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's it in, but it still will be a lower time of year at this at this time. But we've had some interesting rentals that have have used it. I was going to say, like, have you sort of done research to figure out where the rentals are coming from? Because if by doing sort of like that market research, you can figure well, out, you know, it's who, not research at all. We just ask the question, whoever rents right. it, we say, hey, welcome or thanks for looking at our, our booking it or wanting to book it just out of curiosity. Uh, what what brings you into Trenton? And uh, so we do find out the reasons for it. Everyone's shared it. Uh, so it's anything from contractors working in the area who are looking for a place to stay while they do a job nearby um, because contractors in that area are very hard to find. So I think a lot of people are bringing them in from outside and probably paying for them to, you know, stay local. Um, we've had uh, bereavement, bereavement reasons. Uh, a family from BC came to uh, attend uh, the final days of someone who was passing away in a hospital and they, they, they stayed. We've had two, two such stays like that actually. And then we've had uh, a couple of other contractors who one guy came twice. He spent spent six days, uh, went home for the weekend, came back Monday and rented it out again for six days. So that's been the general. And we had a girls night. I think uh, a, like a bunch <laughs> of 50 year old women had oh, like okay. some kind of a girls night. Uh, there was just one night, which uh, we typically don't let it be rented for one night. The The belief on that is that it prevents partiers. However, on this girls night we um we allowed it so i guess maybe the age of gray a lot of gray sort of golden girls kind of look golden girls party yeah so i guess when you get a request um where where someone trying to book it you can vet that like so for example like if if you get a bunch of you know a, a frat party or something like that you can you have the option to say no well, yeah, so we ask what the purpose is, and then you can also look at the reviews they've had from previous bookings. So guests get reviewed and uh, the hosts get reviewed. So you can see the history of what sort of reviews they got. So if you if you do see, well, they were very noisy, they trashed the place or whatever, that's something, if they did it, we would probably be able to, to know about that. So I thought you had a property management company that kind of handles the actual transactions. Or, we do, we do. Oh, okay, but you still have have notifications, or you still have say as to who gets. I can the see. No, I, I'm a silent. I'm pretty silent with it. I I can see the activity going on, and but I don't see the booking part. That that all gets done by the the people I've got managing it. But I do see correspondence between them and the guests. So, um, and I also when I see when it gets booked, or if someone asks a question about a booking before they book, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so for this property management company, you have given them a criteria of groups that you don't want. So well, they they, they kind of do it. They're they're the ones who are doing it. They know what I don't want. You know yeah, what I mean? Like okay. they've got the experience. This is why I hired a property manager who specializes in Airbnb was because I wanted someone who's seen it all before. They can mm-hmm. recognize patterns or. They just know from experience how to handle an Airbnb. So that's come in quite handy. I, I don't know how many things haven't happened because of them, mm-hmm. but I know what the process is that they they take to ensure good quality guests. And so far, so good. I guess that happens more often than you think where you have bad guests that trash a house. It happens less often than you think. Well, because I guess it's different with Airbnbs and that you have that accountability in the sense yes. that if you have... Uh, you know, if you have someone that rents and they have a bad experience, then essentially they won't be able to rent. You know, that goes against their record because of, of the reviews placed against Correct. them. So exactly. You, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you have to show your driver's license when you register as a guest. So there's a way to track you. So if you just have a mm-hmm. bad experience and then, you know, decide, oh, I'll just reinvent myself on Airbnb again, uh, as a new name or whatever, they'll probably find you when you try yeah. to, when you, cause you have to show your driver's license uh, or some sort of government ID when you register as a guest. Okay. Well, it's good to know. That's interesting. I, I didn't know that. I thought that there was 
a higher likelihood of, of, I guess, sort of taking that chance with people that, you know, would come into your house and you're not sure if things are going to get broken or there's going to be, you know, parties or garbage, that type of thing. But well, I guess it gives you that little bit more peace of mind knowing that there's controls in place. There's more controls in place with this than long-term rental, for sure. I mean, you can vet somebody and, and do all the right things to hope you're getting a good long-term tenant. But once they're in, they're hard to get out. So, you know, even in the case of something bad happening with an Airbnb guest, Airbnb will pay for it if they trash the place. Um, that's part of their service is they will compensate you if a guest does trash it. So that's the, the other thing or the one thing. And if they're not great guests for a couple nights, they're gone. Like, whereas a long-term tenant could be a nuisance every Saturday night and Friday night or every night for that matter. And then what do you yeah. do? It's very, very difficult to evict yeah. tenants in, in this province. And long-term tenants that, you know, maybe skip out on paying the rent and then you're caught having to, you know, float the property for a few months without having income coming in. So yeah, well, it's oh, interesting. Good to know. The second uh, thing I wanted to say very quickly was that you have to look at Airbnb on a, on a, a year, a year out basis. You can't just start renting it and say, Oh, two months in, this isn't working. You can't look at it that way. You have to look at it on a one year, at least a 12 month basis, because there is a high and a low season you're new. You, you just can't say, oh, crap, we had a bad month. You know, if you're five years in, maybe, then you start looking at it and saying, why do we have such a down month when the previous years we had a great month? That kind of thing. But not this early in, in a new listing. This is a topic that uh, actually I was traveling down the elevator in my building where I work. They have this elevator news network thingy. You've probably seen them. And this topic was one of the one uh, a headline on elevator news, which was the top paid dead celebrities of 2022. It's a, a topic that's interesting to me because it, it's it's a weird phenomenon that some of these celebrities who have been dead for probably many, many years probably made more money in death than they were than they did when they were alive. Well, it depends how long they were alive for and how long they were dead for too, right? Yeah. Uh, and how long has been they've been dead for. So... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like an Elvis, for example, I think he's on our list. Yeah, uh, I would, I he's, would, he's been dead for what, 50 years and he's, or maybe 40, 45 ish, 45 years. Yeah. Yeah. And he's certainly brought more money in, I would think than when he was actually alive, especially too, yeah. with inflation and everything. Yeah. So I haven't seen this list, so I'm sure there might be some surprises. Uh, some people you'd expect to see, like obviously Elvis, you just mentioned, I'm, Especially with the uh, with the movie that came out last year, I'm sure Elvis is humming along pretty good. And so, yeah, let's let's go through this list. I'm curious to know who's on. There. Okay, did, does right. it tell you the the amounts as well? Um, does it? Does it? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah, it does. Okay, so let's go from the bottom. Number ten, Charles Schultz, creator of Peanuts Gang, right? Uh, okay. Yeah. In two thousand, he died in two thousand of cancer. And in 2022, he brought in $24 million in revenues, his estate, that is. So Charles Schultz, known for mostly classic holiday specials, like It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, uh, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, Charlie Brown Christmas. So these are all, um, you know, big generators, I guess, of interest. But this is apparently the first year these won't be airing free because Apple TV snapped up the rights for Charles Schultz's holiday specials. Wow. Even more money for the estate. There you go. Yeah. Uh, number nine, um, Jeff Porcaro, the drummer from eighties Rockfit outfit, Toto. Interesting. He, hmm. you, you know, Toto, they had the song Africa. I, yeah. Yeah. I know Toto, um, but he was the go-to studio drummer for recording bigwig Quincy Jones hmm. Um, his publishing and recording royalties were snapped up by the primary wave company. He also recorded with Eric Clapton, Steely Dan, Paul McCartney, Bruce Springsteen. So I guess he generates a lot of royalties from being connected to those big artists. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's all about the royalties for a lot of these people, but it makes you wonder like who, who does get the proceeds? Like it's not automatic that it would go to family members. Um, I think it depends how old they are. 
if they're yeah. within 50 years, I think it's uh, all like everything is still, uh, I think royalty is expire on, on certainly on things like plays and things, because I have experienced this from doing theater is that a lot of plays expire after 50 years. So authors aren't allowed to collect royalties after 50 years after their death. Mm, okay. So yeah, Jeff Percaro, 25 million. He, his estate brought in in 2022. Next up, Dr. Seuss at number eight, $32 million. He died in 1991. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, not hard to imagine with some of the, the movies that were made, yeah, uh, like the, the Lorax, the for instance, generated over $16 million in book sales since yep. last November, alongside a Netflix deal and merchandise alongside Netflix, uh, a deal for, for merchandising. So yeah, like that's, that's going to obviously, uh, bring him or that estate some, some income. Number seven, Leonard Cohen, $55 million. Uh, he died in 2016 and, um, his publishing and masters were snapped up by a company called Hib Hypnosis. He's known for the song, the hallelujah or sorry, hallelujah. Um, and he's been picked up, uh, by, uh, you know, various people have sung, repeated his songs or covered his songs. So I, uh, that's you know, not surprising that, it, uh, it, I was going to say, it sounds like some of these people could just be like a one time only thing in the sense that if, if they're, um, if their collections were, were purchased by a company, whether it's, you know, Netflix, Amazon, whatever it might be, it's sort of the estate would have that one time huge payout. So they may not be on that list next year. True. That could whereas, be where someone like an Elvis probably would be year after year after year. Right. Because right. Good point. The magnitude of him. They do make the point here that Leonard Cohen uh, had a, that was terrible at his financial management when he was alive. Uh, so, you know, his manager misappropriated, $5 million worth of his money in the two thousands. Um, he, he probably was, he's probably better dead than alive when it comes to managing yeah. his money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you could say that about a lot of celebrities. Yeah. Number six, uh, Michael Jackson, he died in 2009, uh, with COVID restrictions lifted the Jackson themed Cirque du Soleil show in Las Vegas is back in action and raking in money alongside the King of Pops, my Jack musical catalog, and there's a new cash cow in town, the uh, MJ the Musical on Broadway, a jukebox retelling of Jackson's story. By November, the musical will have grossed $80 million, wow. $80 million, <laughs> according to the Jackson estate source. Yeah. Well, um, I, I $75 million is how much it ra his estate raised in 2022. Yes, there's really no surprise there. You know, Michael Jackson being such an iconic name that his his name will carry on for for years and years to come and there's yeah I'm sure there's going to be many productions and plays or whatever it might be and documentaries there's that's going to keep going on for a long long time number five james brown at a hundred million dollars uh also known as the hardest man working the hardest working man in show business just keeps on working even though he's dead Primary Wave, a New York-based independent music publisher, snapped up the Godfather's soul of music rights, real estate, and names and likeness. The Brown Estate will reportedly use some of the proceeds to fund academic scholarships for needy children in perpetuity, uh, and that's a hundred million from from Mr. Uh, from Mr. Brown. Been dead yeah, well, since '06. Well, my my comment about you know where does this money go? That's an it's a great example as to you know, that money going to a good cause where it gets funneled to a charitable organization. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whereas a lot of times you would picture that a lot of this money would probably go into go to lawyers and various people behind the scenes and may not necessarily agents, people collecting agents. Up yeah. Top. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four, Elvis Presley at 110 million been dead since 1977. The king benefited handsomely from COVID cooped up tourists ready to treat themselves to a vacation at his Graceland mansion and resort. At least 80 million of Presley's earnings come from tour tickets, shows and merch, according to sources of close to the estate. The estate didn't make a ton of money directly off the smash Elvis biopic, 
but the hit film is expected to lift Presley's earnings for at least the next 18 months as fans, new and old, look to own their own piece of the king. Now, I'm surprised that he's not number one, especially with, with you know, the renewed interest in all this because of the, the, the recent movie and everything. So, Right, which is what, what they're saying, right? Maybe yeah, it'll come I'm, next year. Maybe. maybe, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know who these next three people are. Okay, number three, David Bowie. Uh, okay. Raked right. in two hundred and fifty million. He's been dead since two thousand sixteen. Um, we let's see. Uh, sale of the sale of David Bowie's publishing catalog and masters to Warner Chappelle in January generated enough income to make Major Tom jealous to the tune of two hundred and fifty million. So that this was the purchase of the estate. So again, probably like you said, it was probably a one time Yeah, one time thing. thing, yeah. Um number two, uh do you want I'll, I'll do you want to take a guess on the last two? Any guesses? Um is Marilyn Monroe on that list? Not on the top ten, no. Hmm. I don't know. I'm trying to rack my brain as to who might be the top two. One of them uh, won't probably will, probably won't be a surprise. The other one might be a surprise until you think about it a little bit. But hmm. um, number two, Kobe Bryant. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. So they say that uh, the L.A. Lakers legend had a seven percent stake in the Body Armor Energy Drink and served on the company's board close to or prior to his twenty twenty death. In November 2021, Coca-Cola agreed to buy out the 70% of body own, own armor it didn't already have um, for $5.6 billion at an $8 billion valuation. Bryant's estate received a reported $400 million in proceeds from the sale. So $400 okay. million for Kobe Bryant in 2022. Okay. So I'm not surprised that Kobe Bryant's estate would still be a huge money earner because of, obviously, the popularity of who he was. Yeah, and but, that particular financial but, transaction yeah, was that, to help. That transaction put him at number two on the list. So, yeah, it's you, you're right. One of those things where the list would vary greatly year over year. All right, yeah. number one. Number one is, drumroll, J.R.R. Tolkien. All right. Um, when Swedish video game company Embracer announced its acquisition of Middle Earth Enterprises in August, they didn't disclose the deal price, Instead, opting to share that they'd spent $788 million on six acquisitions, including Token. Uh, but one clever hobbit told Forbes that Embracer spent at least $500 million for the Middle Earth Enterprises, uh, a number that wasn't refuted by Embracer. You know, he's got other stuff, um, intellectual property with Amazon, HarperCollins, New Line, Token Estate, in what's been described as the most complex IP rights split in history so that's 500 million for mr token and he's the top uh, money maker in 2022 okay so here's the interesting point token when did he die like how long has he been what 100 years yeah ago? so so token token jr token token I, I know token experts will be cringing uh he died in 1973 oh okay all right i thought it was I thought it was a lot longer than that i didn't realize he he died so recently okay yeah but, yeah. All right. Either way, I was my my point. I was going to make is that this is an individual who has been dead for a while, almost fifty years. Um, said I thought he was he was dead a lot longer, but you know, as more time goes by, again, where does the money go from from the estate? Um, right. So yeah, I'd be interested to know. You know, where might go to the family, went. and I mean Maybe. that's and that's not a bad thing. I don't think. I mean, that's part of would, they, they leave a legacy behind, right? With their yeah. with the work they did and their family generations should should probably yeah, have we, a part in that. We, we, you know, we joke about like trust fund babies and stuff like that. But imagine if like your your great great grandfather estate was still collecting like millions of dollars of income and you know, it's something that would sort of fund generations for years and years and years to come. So Yep. Yeah, and unfortunately, we don't have any legacy trusts are in coming to us, right? Nope. Paul, you were you heard or wanted to talk about a fireworks ban, and is it the city of Brampton? What's uh, what's on your mind here? Yeah, so this is a recent headline. This is within the last maybe two weeks or so. Uh, city of Brampton has um, instituted a fireworks ban. And what I mean by that is the the ban of fireworks for personal use. 
So in other words, um, you know, lighting fireworks off in a public park or in your driveway or in your backyard, that is now banned. Um, it is punishable by an increased monetary fine. I think it's like $500 or something like that. So it's, it's quite punitive. Um, yeah. It, it should be noted that it does not include the ban of fireworks outright in the sense that any kind of, I guess, community or, um, you know, city sponsored, uh, fireworks events obviously are, are still, uh, allowed to proceed. So there'll still be like Canada fireworks, Victoria day fireworks, but you are no longer allowed to light them off in your backyard. So or the in reason public be- space, as you in, said, in uh, like public parks spaces, yeah. So right now in, I think in most municipalities, they have designated days like the the various holidays, Canada Day, Victoria Day, and so on. I think there's and only are, four. Diwali is one, and so I think yeah, it's I think four designated sometimes holidays. Sometimes New Year's Day, depending on on the municipality. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and you're only allowed to light fireworks off until like eleven o'clock at night or something like that. But the reason why Brampton decided to go this route was because of the various, well, numerous noise complaints, which apparently the noise complaints have increased substantially over the last maybe five years or so. It's a topic um, on our Facebook page, neighborhood Facebook page here. It is, so, yeah. Yeah. But the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because it, it kind of got me a little fired up in the sense, not no pun intended, uh, in that, you know, it, it, it's sort of like Big Brother telling you what to do. Like, I should have, why, why is the, the city hall telling people that they can't let fireworks off in the backyard? I'm, I'm opposed to the fact that, you know, it's, it's once again, it's sort of that, um, overarching sort of, um, management over what people do in their own privacy of their backyards. I realize that there's, that there is noise complaints, but I think it's a case of, um, you know, a couple of, it's probably young kids or punks, whatever, that light fireworks off at two in the morning. And obviously yep. that's going to spur um, neighborhood complaints. And I understand that. But, you know, at the same time, it's like a small group that abuse it, ruin it for, ruin the fun for everyone else. You know, a lot of good childhood memories of, of lighting fireworks off in the backyard or whatever. And now that's, that's, there's a lot spoiled. of good memories of childhood throwing lawn darts too yeah no but like where where does it end like where where, where does at what point do we allow um you know municipalities or, or government bodies to to truly dictate as to what we do or, or um how how we spend time with or activities that we spend time with our family all i can say is that for me personally if if well, I live in Whitby. If Whitby were to impose a ban, I'd be furious. I would definitely be fighting that tooth and nail. But what, what well, are your thoughts on that? Things change when there's enough public uproar about something, generally. That is, I guess, what the council is responding to. They typically don't want to enact something. They typically only enact something like this when there's enough complaints. It's obviously coming from public demand. I don't think counselors just think up things like this and ban them personally, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what the public sentiment is. Like it's in terms of taking a poll to find out exactly what what the public wants. I, I don't know. I just think that for city council to to be enacting this law, it's basically them taking the voice away from from the people. Just because you get a bunch of public complaints. Or did it give the vo- people a voice if there were enough complaints? The people that aren't getting responses to this could say they're not being listened to. Yeah. Yeah, but it should be majority rules. And if the majority of people want to have fireworks, then they should be allowed to have fireworks. But maybe Simple the majority did rule, and that's why they made the law. Well, I don't maybe know. Maybe you're in the minority. I, I, I would have a tough time believing that people would be in favor of an outright fireworks ban. It just seems really bizarre to me. Further investigation and, coming. Yeah, I think so. Christmas lights. It's that time of year, Paul, and uh, a a topic you're quite passionate about. Uh, In fact, last year, uh, I think we had a a, a someone, I think we had someone actually write in. I can't hear you. Uh, uh, I can hear you, weirdly. I can hear you. Okay. Now, can you hear me now? Okay, I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's see if it's... Let's restart that. Okay. Yeah. Is it stable, though? Are we stable? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Okay. 
Christmas lights, Paul, a topic you were quite passionate about last year. And we, yeah. we, we had a longer discussion and, but you want to revisit this uh, briefly. Uh, you may recall we also had a person write in last year, Sandman 88, I think it was, who was curious to know more about Christmas lights and why it bothered you that people that don't celebrate Christmas, um, why that was upsetting to you and that they may not want to put up Christmas lights. So let me, let me give you a minute or so to table this. <laughs> Yeah, as as you know, we we talked about it quite a lot last year, so I'm not going to, you know, dig up too much as to to what we've already been discussed. The reason I wanted to mention is because it's that time of year where you're seeing a lot of people put up Christmas lights. And I just found it unusual that on my street there is about, I believe it's eight houses in a row. You're actually counting. Yes. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Eight houses in a row, which mine is, is included within those eight that have Christmas decorations up, Christmas Eight lights. In a row, okay. Is that a yeah. record, do you know, for your street, or is that um, lower than Yeah, normal? actually, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Either way, okay. it's, it's 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 nice to see that, where you, every single house almost along this stretch has Christmas lights up. Whereas on the other side of the street, there's like eight houses that don't have lights up. It's it's almost like all the ho- all the lights are on one side of the street, and the houses on the other side don't have lights, which I th- think is a little bit bizarre, so... But Just more, is more it of a comment. Well, yeah, like, why is it that, I, I don't know, I still sort of... Maybe people in those is, houses is don't celebrate. Don't defend them. Hey, well, hey, you know, I, no, I, I, but I, if they don't I, celebrate I said, it... I said last year that there is a lot of areas, like, for example, in, in Ajax, which is close to me, that is a very multicultural area... There are certain streets that have every single house has decorations up, and they're not necessarily all all Christians. It's it's the fact that Christmas is becoming almost like a, a non-denominational holiday. One might argue is that you don't have to necessarily celebrate Christmas. You just get into the quote unquote festive spirit, and you put lights up to be um, festive to, to with your neighbors. Paul, and door, and and now. you know to, to satisfy my expectations of what Christmas should be. Anyway, I just think that it's a nice thing to put Christmas lights up, and it just boggles my mind as to just when you have large stretches of homes where people have no interest whatsoever. I have a feeling this is something that you're not going to let go, and we're going to have to just agree to disagree on. Anyway, th- this will be continued uh, an exactly a year ago f- from now when we're going to revisit this topic again. <laughs> well, I will say that when you first mentioned this topic a couple weeks back, I d- don't have any Christmas lights up then, and nor do I have them up now. So, you know, the other thing I'll add to it is perhaps not everyone puts up Christmas decorations before December 1st. When you're talking mid-November when you raise this concern and it's now the fourth day into the month. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe there's some hope yet for mm-hmm. Christmas lights to show up on those delinquent houses yeah. across yeah. the street. Yeah. Well, just so you know, I'm going to be coming over to your house this afternoon to put up your Christmas lights. Perfect. Be my guest. Yeah. I've got, all all, right. got them. I just haven't put them up yet. All right. Well, put them up then. Jeez. Okay. Um, you... You also had a, you, you were actually a, a wealth of, of ideas and creativity the last few weeks. You, you also wanted to talk about, uh, I don't know if it's specific to Trudeau, but political signs or, or shirts or, uh, stickers, et cetera, with, with expletives like F Trudeau or F pick your favorite politician or celebrity, I guess. Uh, what's, what's going on with this one? Yeah, I just thought that this was an interesting one because I'm seeing more and more of the the F Trudeau, F-U-C-K Trudeau bumper stickers and flags. You've seen that more and more. And I think that, well, for those that are obviously unfamiliar with Canadian public events or, sorry, current events, I think a lot of this, there's always been opposition to, to Justin Trudeau. Um, being of, of the Liberal Party, a lot of conservatives obviously do not like Trudeau. Yep. Um, but a lot of this stemmed from the fact that, um, last January or February, when there was a lot of protests that happened in Ottawa, that the blockades protesting the various freedom um, convoy, COVID, the freedom convoy protesting the, the COVID 19 restrictions, the various travel restrictions that were in place at that time. Yep. Anyway, I think that kind of fueled everything, and and it's really created this movement. And it's not unlike what is going on in the, in the U.S., where um, 
you know, over the last couple of years, obviously U.S. politics is very polarizing with, you know, obviously the, the Trump stickers, Trump flags and, you know, F Biden and, you know, all yep. of that kind of stuff and, and F Nancy Pelosi and anything to do with, with the Democrats. So, you know, the U.S. sort of kind of kickstarted this movement, I would say. Um, but it's very much sort of spread to Canada. You know, and, and when I was in the U.S. a couple of weeks back on vacation, you know, I went by this uh, this T-shirt shop and it was all about, you know, Donald Trump T-shirts and, you know, the Donald Trump's going to take back the election and F Biden and, you know, all of that. Democrats are evil, all of that kind of sentiment. And, you know, as Canadians, we like to think, oh, you know, that's we're sort of you know, our politics is above that partisanship, but it, yeah. it's becoming more more partisan, more sort of adversarial, similar to what's going on in the U.S. right now, where there's a true um, building sentiment against Justin Trudeau. So you're seeing more of these flags and, and more bumper stickers. and Social media like, is, is largely, media, I think, to do with it, right? We're seeing yeah. it from the U.S. And then, and then it gets, it spreads faster because social media is typically the vehicle for spreading it. Absolutely. So, you know, my thoughts on, on that, in terms of, of getting a bumper sticker, that's a, that's a big, that's a big statement. And believe me, I'm no Trudeau fan. I'm, I'm a conservative. I'm, oh, getting, I'm, wait, hold on. A I'm second. no getting Trudeau a fan, but I would, a, I would what, not get a bumper sticker. I would not put that on my car. Cause I, I think it's honestly, I think it's kind of vulgar. So you use a bumper sticker as a way to, to, to judge someone's really getting serious when, when they're popping something on their, on their vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so for example, I, you and I have talked about this briefly. Like if you're in like a, you know, meeting a, a business associate or, or meeting a client and someone pulled up and they had like a big F Trudeau flag on the back of their truck, you know, would you, would you take a different opinion of that person? I, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I would as well. Like it's any extreme. expletive on someone's shirt or anywhere on their, their person or, or property uh, yeah, I definitely, my judgment radar definitely is, is, is uh, pinging hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, it's just, it's interesting to see these extremes now where you're starting to see the t-shirts and, and the flags. And it's like, it's interesting to see this in Canada where Canadians as a whole don't necessarily, um, you know, display their political affiliations. You know, mm. in, in the U.S., you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, and you make sure people know that. In Canada, people are a little bit more discreet when it comes to their their political affiliations. But you're seeing that more and more now with with these, you know, anti-Trudeau sentiments. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this how this happens. And if this is something that's going to build and build until the next election uh, remains to be seen. But anyway, I just thought it was a, an interesting observation from, from my part. F. Trudeau. There you go. Okay, what we're watching, what uh, what's uh, what we're watching also extends to listening, reading. Have you got something there, Paul? You want to share? Yeah, um, right now I'm uh, involved in season five of both Yellowstone and season five. Coincidentally, oh, I got to ask you about Yellowstone. Yellowstone. So yeah, the Yellowstone and the Crown. That that's what I'm working on right now. And, and okay, both... hold on, hold on. Yellowstone is. Um, I have to ask you this: Is Yellowstone available just on regular Amazon Prime? Okay, good. Okay, glad you asked that. Because um, I'm pissed so... off. This is a topic. <laughs> We're turning it into a topic. All right. So right you now you had to pay extra for it, didn't you? Yes. So Yellowstone, I think Bullshit. only up to season four is available on Amazon. It doesn't. Get so the new season doesn't go to Amazon probably for a couple more months. So okay, but it we, is coming. Yeah, so we had to. The only reason why we have access to it is through Paramount Plus, which so, you paid for. Yeah, so there's the Paramount channel, but then Paramount Plus is an additional channel that you have to purchase. It's like so this is bucks, the thing about Amazon five bucks a month or something. It's bugging me because on Netflix, it's at least what is on Netflix is available on Netflix. Yeah. But Amazon's got these little things now. These you still have to pay for a lot of stuff on Amazon, which, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. pisses me off. It's yeah. not that much cheaper, Amazon. I don't, well, maybe that's where they're coming up with the logic is that because you are you get Amazon Prime by get or you get this access, some of this access from having being a Prime member, which also gives you other benefits. Perhaps. Yeah, like is that free, free shipping and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. But still, so now it, they're just trying to bring in these new like ways of paying more for stuff. It's yeah. It yeah, bothers I, me a lot. I agree. It's like, it's, you feel like you get nickel and dimed over bullshit. Like just give me like, that's why I like Netflix. Like everything on there is free. You just pay your monthly fee and you move on. But yeah, Amazon is like, you click on something that you want to see and it's like an additional charge. So Yellowstone, but, is it worth paying the money for with Paramount Plus? Um, yeah, just because, well, actually Paramount Plus, it's, um, they have a lot of other stuff on there. Like it's not just a, a channel where, um, you know, Yellowstone is the only thing you're going to get. They have all sorts of stuff on, on Paramount Plus and, and yeah. it's a, yet another channel that we need to explore, but all the Paramount movies are on there. So there's all sorts of stuff on Paramount Plus. So we've only sort of scratched the surface as to, to what's available, but. Anyway, we're my wife and I were huge Yellowstone fans, so we we didn't want to wait any longer to to see the new season. And yeah, so had far, to make the bar, you had your bit, you bought. Yeah, 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 yeah. We uh, we took the bait. So yeah, I guess we're the people that Paramount Plus are are counting on to uh, to sign up. But yeah, yep. the, yeah, season five. I won't make no no spoilers here, but it doesn't disappoint. It's it's good. It's worth the, the extra series, money. Awesome series. It's, uh, it keeps going, and and it's uh, we're we're huge fans. I know you want to talk about the crown, but we're kind of running short on time. Um, yeah, I watch Yellowstone, but I'm not as rabid. I find that uh, recently we haven't really been watching much TV, like with the real estate stuff and uh, just other things going on. We just haven't had much chance to sit down and watch stuff. So I do mm -hmm. like Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah, we watch more TV in the in the fall and winter. Like we we don't really watch much in the summer just because we got stuff going on. We want to be outside, but. Um, yeah, we're, we're catching up on a lot of shows. Um, yeah, crown season five is really good. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a new cast of, of, of characters. And I don't so like far. the Prince Charles. He looks nothing like Prince Charles. Um, yeah, nothing like, not of. like the last guy. The last yeah. guy was amazing. He, but he's, he's still good. I think it's Jonathan Price is the actor who's playing Charles. Um, sorry, you said Charles or Philip? Prince Charles. Or oh, maybe Prince it Charles. Okay. Yeah, Prince Charles. yeah. Do like Dominic Charles. West is the guy that's playing Prince Charles, and he actually does a pretty decent job. I, I yeah, actually I've only don't seen mind it. I haven't listened. I just saw the preview flash by. I'm like, God, it doesn't look like Prince Charles at all. Yeah. Whereas the last guy in the previous season, I thought was amazing. He had all mm -hmm. the quirky, weird, awkward, you know, his yeah. neck going into his shoulder and, <laughs> and muttering. And whereas the other guy, um, I just thought didn't look like. I know what yeah. they were going for. They wanted the more of today's Charles, I guess, or mm -hmm. the last like 15 years ago, Charles, not awkward Charles from the, you know, the, um, he's still awkward, but anyway, yeah. uh, mine, I'll be quick. It's, uh, it's what I'm reading. It's a book called the six working geniuses. It's a business book. It's about how each of us have what are called, or there are, there are six working geniuses that exist and that each of us has two of these geniuses that we're really, really good at and get a lot of energy and drive joy from. There are two that we are competent at, but we don't derive a lot of energy and it doesn't suck our energy away. And then there's two where the energy is drained from us when we have to do these two working geniuses. So you fill out an assessment and it tells you what your working geniuses are in those, you know, in those two realms, the three realms. And uh, I have found it amazingly insightful. And uh, there's a podcast of a guy, a guy named Patrick Lencioni. He's a, one of my favorite business writers. He has a podcast called The Working Genius, which talks all about this stuff. And uh, I've, I've been listening to his podcast and reading this book, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's always good to, to get, uh, you know, personal references in terms of, you know, good material to read and, and stuff that's going to be uh, effective. So, yeah, like my working geniuses are the genius of wonder and the genius of uh, uh, enablement. So my strengths are thinking about things, saying, what if we did this or what if we did that? And then my enabler genius is is about helping people get things done. So is this sort of like a self-assessment type of thing where oh, yeah, like yeah. you're finding finding your strengths? Yeah, because I've done, I've done like self-assessments in the past to sort of discover your personality traits. Yeah, um, you know, similar. yeah, to, to kind of find your your strengths and weaknesses. So I'm assuming it's sort of along the similar path. It, it is, yeah. and it's the beauty of it is that I think you could actually use this one for things like job interviews. 
where if you, you know, you get those stupid personality assessments, which everybody tries to, to, to beat, right? Because they, they answer the questions based on what they think people want to know, not what, and although some will say they're, they're not beatable, but I believe they are. The working geniuses one is great because it can help you find the right person for your team. Like if you do an assessment on your own team and, uh, you know, you're missing one of the geniuses, you could look to hire one of the geniuses. So, uh, hmm. One of the geniuses is tenacious. You're tenacious that you you love get, getting your hands on a project and getting it finished and crossing it off a list. You're just you're going to run that thing to the finish line like a dog with a bone. Um, so that's not me. I'm not good at that. I I love starting stuff and helping people get there, but I'm not the guy that gets it over the finish line. That's and that was cool to I knew that kind of, but I didn't. And when you see this assessment, you kind of say, oh, okay, but my strengths are here and here. So for when you're hiring a team, you want to try to bring in that missing team member, the tenacious person or the the galvanizer is another one, the gal- one who's just good at getting everybody rallied mm-hmm. behind a cause and getting onto something. Yeah, I always find those those self-assessments can be really interesting. Like you really learn a lot about yourself when you, when you take those. Like, because I took one actually about a couple of weeks ago, um, like it was like a personality self-assessment that was for like a, a workshop that I attended. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, sometimes you can be kind of surprised as to, to where, you know, where your strengths are and, and where you think your strengths are, but they're not. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a good exercise that everyone should take part in. And it's also one of those things where, you know, if you know you have a weakness, it, it sort of helps to realize that you have strengths in other areas and not to dwell on, on those particular weaknesses or, or areas that you are constantly trying to work on because, you know, you, you're better than you think you are. That's right. In the Strengths Finder book, which is another book out there, that's one thing they talk about in that book is f- screw the weaknesses, forget them, focus on your strengths. Like, you know, and, and a lot of these performance reviews that we go through at work are focused on the weaknesses and trying to get better at them. What if you reallocated the people who were really strong at things and put them on the stuff you need them to be strong on in those areas? And then the other people who are strong at, you know, the tenacity piece or um, uh, invention is another one of the geniuses where you're great at coming up with solutions to problems, but you're not necessarily good at getting everybody rallied behind the cause or getting the thing done, but you're an ideas person. So that's, that's a really cool thing to me. When I read about the genius of wonder, I felt a lot. I felt like, wait a sec. I've I'm, I'm, this is a, this is a skill not everybody has and it belongs in certain places. The, the key is trying to find the right job that matches up with your, your, your geniuses, because it's easy. Like, you know, you look at everyone wants a results oriented or, you know, these stupid things you see on LinkedIn results oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the old catchphrases that people like to use, the, the, uh, what is self-directed or self-motivated and all these things. Um, there's a lot of smart people that are terrible getting stuff done, but they're fucking smart as hell. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you're one of them, right? <laughs> You like to think you are. All right. We are done. Till the next episode. <laughs>